2: That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the Bro, negative insurgency up, in their you lives. fire me up, fire me up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. Good morning, TNQ Podcast.
0: What's up, brother? That's a... Hey... Good out. Nice
2: homage to the, to the Dude, man. To the Welcome. man, the myth.
0: Welcome back.
2: Dude, you know how good it is to Welcome see back. your hidden face? Do you know how wonderful, <laughs> how inspiring it is to see that big dip lip in that Yeti cup sitting in front of me, brother? It's massive. <laughs> that was the longest vacation of my entire life. <laughs> in like a hurricane well i i mean dude it was huge it was a huge one but i but i'm back and i'm filled with energy and i'm super fired up marcus wizard Mm -hmm. just to see you guys again just to be here with you you know why let me run down a list of reasons why i'm fired up to be back one one the way our studio smells it smells like victory two The way your subtle, supple voice now sounds. Because before, I didn't get to hear a lot of it. Now, after all those incredible shows that you guys did, and by the way, I want to take a sidestep right now and put a personal thanks out to Morgan and Clint. Man, you guys did amazing. Thank you so much for the effort you made, for being on point, for... Making my brothers look good here. And just for taking the show to where it is now. Thank you, gentlemen, so much. I love you. Thank you, and God bless you. And please come back in the future, and let's get them live, Marcus. What do you think? Yeah. Live shows with them.
0: Yeah, they did a great job of stepping into the breach like that.
2: I mean, that ain't easy, dude, at all. I mean, and we're podcasters now, right? I mean, we're true podcasters, so... Them being novices. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> we don't know what the hell we're doing. We just get up there and wing it, too. So, anyways, huge shout out to them. That's what we said to them. I remember when brought him in, like, we're trying to,
0: like, you well, know, let's just wing it. You'll see. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, I mean, there were several shows that blew me away. You know, I love Liz's show. Oh, yeah, she's all the time. Huh? Liz? Oh, that, that show just, I mean, it was unbelievable. Liz, thank you so much. It was a pleasure actually meeting you this time when I was out here. But so just amazing job, guys, everybody that participated. Thank you for backfilling me while I was going through what I was going through. Um, And I just appreciate, you know, what you guys did. All right. Where was I? One, the smell. Two, his dip lip. Three, your supple voice. Supple. Supple? Is it supple? I don't know if it's supple as it's much. It's subtle. Subtle. That's what it is. Subtle. Sorry, I got that subtle? wrong. Is it I, subtle? I
0: correlate that with something else.
2: Like, yeah. Weakness. <laughs> che- check. A subtle. Subtle. And wisdom. Powerful wisdom. Subtle voice. How's that? That yeah, I it's like supple and yoga and yogurt. Hey man, downward words like dog.
3: That, they seem to fit together.
2: Listen, there's a space and time for everything, right? Never mind. <laughs> and the and four. Four is I'm just stoked. I'm just pure energy stoked to be back here, be on the air. We got a kick-ass guest coming on. We got a bunch of other guests lined up. I'm fired up, dude. Fired yeah, up. So let's get to it. All right. Well, let's talk about filmmaking. We've, we've had some amazing. We had Peter Berg on. That's one of my favorite shows. We, you know We had Mark on. We had... You know, you know, uh, we had Lara Logan on as as well. You know, so making films, making journalism, being a journalist, very critical. But when you combine those two, and you tell a narrative of a, a time in history that really was a pivotal event, right? It shaped the face of our perception on an, on a world scale. The guy coming on today is an expert in that. And I'm a big Mm -hmm. documentary film nut. I mean, I lately, you know, on my time off, I watched the Civil War by Ken Burns. I watched the war by Ken Burns. Man, I was entrenched in Ken Burns. I remember when that uh, was the Civil War one came out when
0: we were in when I was in high school, I think.
2: Yeah, he did one over the baseball. Uh, That was the first one I Mm, ever saw. uh, Made me a baseball um, fan.
0: Civil War, ones. It's, and it's detailed, too, man. He gets into this and kind of connects the dots. And, and again, oh. if he talks about one battle, he'll back it up and, and talk about And he breaks it down as to why it happened and how it happened, the line by line. And, and if you're, I, I'm one of those uh, auditory visual learners. Right? <laughs> I, I sit there and,
2: and see it going down. Yeah. Well, I know you're a huge documentary guy, yeah, too. I yeah, mean, we've just been talking about you getting into a bunch of documentaries lately. Yeah, yeah, man, that, that Apple TV is the greatest invention ever, right? <laughs> you know, there's know. a nice little plug for you, Apple, by the way. we oh. You want to be a sponsor for us? We're wide open for that. <laughs>
0: yeah, if you can't find something, man, you blast onto the onto YouTube. There, there's another plug, right? Right? The, the YouTube yeah, part of yeah, it. Yeah. And literally just walk back in time. That's the that's one of the coolest things to put it into perspective because we when we were born and this it was around. It was, it was still in the future and, you know, well, remember the Sunday on, uh,
2: night thing? Like on Sunday nights, you'd have certain documentaries about African animals or Jacques Cousteau sure. and all that. Yeah, during yeah the morning on right. Sunday
0: morning, you knew it was coming up. Man, it was going to be that Wild Discovery or something. Yeah, like that totally. There. That's how you, you picked all that, that up and got <laughs> after Saturday's Kung Fu wild Theater. America. And, uh, uh,
3: Marty Stoller. <laughs>
2: and and even now like it's become its uh, its own industry i mean you've got well the great part about it is
0: really accessible people have the video camera and can and document it i mean people's real time that's like a real-time documentary i mean you take it all the way back to how it used to be first you'd have to grab the camera crew and go back over there and then learn everything make the documentary sometimes you had some real footage or whatnot now these
2: guys man they'll throw it on their chest they're they're in you know they're in the middle of of syria wearing gopros on their chest like i just watched a recent one Mm -hmm. it was about the white helmet guys of syria and it's this group of guys that came together they all wear these white helmets and as soon as the bombings happen regardless of whatever it's an isis bombing it's a russian jet bombing whatever these they get the call they're on these radios and they literally run to these urban areas where these buildings have collapsed and there's kids and families and buried in the rubble, and these guys race to this place and literally dig these people out with their bare hands, saving lives, as bombs are still dropping all around them. And what I love about documentaries, when you watch a great documentary, and you guys, please expand on this, when I watch one, I'm waiting for the, the content, the information to really connect. Right, and to get me and to pull me in to whatever it's about, whether it's about a historical event, a person, or whatever, to where I, you feel that connection to him. And that's what a great documentary filmmaker can do. Supposed to do, right? Well, exactly. I mean...
3: Yeah, I mean, pull, it, there's something about a documentary that I really appreciate when it has a, it has a level of authenticity to it. You're getting something real they're telling you some information that is is true about the world and they're combining it in such a powerful medium as film or video that so the presentation of it can still have such an emotional impact and i just find the combination of those two fascinating and and powerful you know and on such a wide range of subjects
0: it's endless it's, it's one of the things where if the the is done well enough to where we're always fascinated by our imaginations and in, in the in some of the our most favorite movies are the ones that that uh, take us into a world that we can't exist totally. in. Correct. So if you if you're watching Spider-Man. a documentary and it seems out of out of reach, then you know that's powerful because totally it's, it's real time and it's about humans about what we're going through. And uh, if you're watching something, you are like, man, I can't even believe that's happening. That then you it's a good one.
2: It is an awesome one. And 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 so any time a, a specific medium like documentary film or or film or or radio or podcasts or blogs can disseminate quality powerful information to the consumer which is the, the end user, right? You sitting there listening to us right now. Man, that's what's important. So again, I want to thank you guys for, you know, welcoming me back. Thanks. I, I but most importantly, I want to thank you the listener because the reason why The three of us do this is to deliver powerful content for you, content that can help you in your life, a a message, an idea, whether it's a documentary filmmaker, whether it's a swimmer, whether it's a, a, a veteran struggling information that can help teach you the never quit mindset. And that's what the Q Podcast is all about. If if you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. We're blessed to have you. But if you're coming, if, and, and if you want to know more about what we do, please visit our website at tnqpodcast.com. Uh, we're all over social media. You can follow us there. Um, and then also, uh, you know, if, if you could, and you, you feels inspired after the show, Go ahead and write in your greatest Never Quit story or or someone you know and care about. Have them write in it and submit it to us. If it's awesome, we'll read this show. We'll read it on. We'll certainly post it on the site. We'll read it on on, on air. And if it's awesome, Marcus, what do we do, bud?
0: going to bring you on.
2: You're going to come on the show and we're going to have you as one of our Never Quit guests. Now, if you're coming back and this is your, I don't know, how many shows are we on now, Wizard. This will be 56. Holy cow. Really? Are you kidding 56. me? 56, 57. brother. Dude, that's epic, man. 56 shows. I, I, that's a blessing, man. We are truly blessed. And the only reason we're, we're yeah, I mean, still here. Many people out there that liked us. Right? Oh, <laughs> 2.2 million,
3: brother. Two point, I think about 2.3 million. 2.3 really? million.
2: Yeah, downloads.
3: Right now, yeah.
2: Brother. That's epic. It's them. It's them. It's you. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it. For those return listeners, keep doing what you're doing. Keep spreading the word for us. Uh, we we really uh, appreciate it. If if you also want to know more about Team Never Quit, visit the teamneverquit.com. We've got a great store, great merchandise. We've got a great list of speakers out there that you can hire to bring into your company. I'm privileged to be one of them. Uh, amazing guys like Clint, like uh, uh, Chad Fleming. I mean, we just have some David Goggins. 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 I miss him, dude.
0: I sent him a text the other day I, I, while I was out working in the yard. I was like, "Hey, man, are you are you still are you being hard right now?" And he's you know, I like,
2: I've been hard since I woke up. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And David exemplifies. The spirit of what the show is all about, and trying to teach you, the listener, and help all those that you know and your family members how to face adversity, overcome the obstacles, and learn the never quit mindset. Man, all right, wizard, can you can you? I think we, we got to bring him on now. Enough, enough. Let's talk about
3: him. We need to introduce him. Give him a give him a little career arc here. You know, get everybody prepped to hear. Um. Californian. He's an American documentary filmmaker and producer. He uh, grew up in California. Father was in the Navy. Education uh, went to George Washington University, B.A. in economics, and then he got his master's from the London School of Economics, which is rather prestigious.
2: It's the most prestigious in Europe. Right. Uh,
3: starts out after that as a freelance journalist, a war correspondent, working out of London. He uh, did he did work for CNN, BBC, Reuters, and whatnot. But really, where he started coming into his own, discovered himself. He turned to filmmaking in 1998. I'm just going to list off some of the uh, some of the, t- the titles here are going to tell you you know the the types of, of uh, documentaries he's making. It gives you a good idea of who he was. The first one that really built his reputation was uh, it was on the Rwandan genocide. The Ghost of, Ghost of Rwanda. Love that one. It dude. was for Frontline. Unbelievable. Um, it took him seven years. It took him seven. Wow. Years collecting the footage, the interviews, the you know everything he needed to put together that first, and that really established him uh, his reputation in the field. From there, uh, Sergio it was a story of the High Commissioner for Human Rights um, at the UN. He uh, did one called "God in America: America's History with Christianity, uh, the Age of AIDS, Showdown with Iran." Homegrown, Counter-Terror Dilemma, Manhunt, which was... Oh,
2: one of my favorites, dude. Yeah. I love that one, dude. Kind of a
3: documentary version of Zero Dark Thirty. You know, the story behind the hunt for Bin Laden, everything leading up to that.
2: He's got the real case officers that were on the Bin Laden desk in yeah. that thing. He, you know, mm-hmm. he's, I mean, he's he went it. I, that's one of my favorites, dude. I mean, so these
3: are heavy topics. <laughs> and topics that required you to go to places that you're not going to take your family on vacation. Right, to make these. Yep. Right. Um, and then most recently, uh, and we're excited about we're gonna be watching it here yep, today on, on iTunes and I'm sure some other oh. some other outlets you can go see at Legion of Brothers.
2: This is what this was the hook on me, dude. This is why I brought them to you guys. Cause I dude, I I, I was you know, I was on the ground right after the horse riders from fifth group, man, and and they were unbelievable. Like they were legends like and, I, you know, I've never gotten a chance to meet those, but to be able to find this story and the, the importance of how it launched, right? How it launched what we were all involved in right. for so long, man. That was like the 1st hooyah badassery that went down, and he tells their story. Such a cool story. Oh, and what I really love I watch in the trailer – which, you know, he also tells the story of the guys post getting out of SF and how they bond together, how they stay together. And we talk about that all the time, right? The the necessity Mm -hmm. of how critical it is that we continue to share that camaraderie.
0: Right, Marcus? All right, man. Well, they were surviving in a world it was just them. I mean, you've been there. You're stepping back in time. I mean, (laughs) a lot of days that lead to weeks that lead the months where it's just you guys out there by yourselves man and when that necessity to, to you know love each other and protect each other that so you can survive man it never goes away amen and then you, know, you come out of that I, I would imagine once they got separated from the from the whole pack that 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 bond really kind
2: of intensified sure how could it not right well you experience like you experienced the same thing i try and do the same thing there's There's guys that I was with in the teams and platoons that I'm still super tight with, and that I make a a, a focused. Been running around here all the time, dude.
3: (laughs) I love it. Regardless of how often you see him. Oh, well put. It could be years, but you just pick on up like you. would
2: Right where you left off. Right where you left off. Yesterday. That's the beauty of the brotherhood.
3: Let me let me read the description that they have for Legion of Brothers real quick, because. I think we're really encouraging people to go watch this. Absolutely, because I'm, I'm excited about seeing it. Here's the write-up for it: "Legion of Brothers." Immediately after the 9/11 attacks, less than 100 U.S. troops were sent on a secret on secret missions to overthrow the Taliban. What happens next is equal parts war origin story and cautionary tale, illuminating the impact of 15 years of constant
2: combat. So, uh, brother, bad, bad to the bone. I mean, those dudes were on with that cat Dostum who was Dostum, it, yeah. Dostum, who was in in the mood he was a mood fighter against the Russians. And they were riding horseback, dude. Horse and then the other cats, they're the dudes that brought uh Karzai on the back of a moped, literally, from through spin bulldock, right? Yeah. From you know, up up that one road that was a dirt road back then, right? In the Kandahar, as they were calling in airstrikes, as the Taliban were fleeing Kandahar, man, they're literally like in their Hiluxes, dude. cars eyes <laughs> on the back, of the cars the eyes on the back of their little moped. Dude. Hey, that
0: Afghanistan was—that's straight up wild west. Man. This is it is, is wild west. The operator talking in me, but it was awesome in the respects that man, we could utilize every one of our training skill sets. Absolutely. And, you had and, to. and then some. Right. I mean, you are talking about when the country boys shine. Try walking out in the middle of nowhere and there's a horse sitting out in front of you instead of a Humvee. <laughs> <Come> on, <boys. laughs> I got this one. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, no, this is my <laughs> wheelhouse. Oh, yeah. dude. And it's just so, like I said. Stepping back in time. We we were doing a man. We. We did a recon follow-on raid and stormed in here, and, I, and me and a couple other guys came into this house in the, on the top, which we thought was a ground floor, but it was obviously in the mountains. You, you don't know, man. And one of the guys fell through, and there was a camel downstairs in, in the house. <laughs> and I, I come running around. I thought, you know, medical, right? So I come running around the corner, man, and I look in there, and I'm, there is a huge camel. <laughs> they heard me in the face, dude. Uh, but I came in on the back end of him at first I was like what the I thought it was hay yeah so, <laughs> what is it he you on nods he, at this point huh you still yeah, had nods at this dark, point It's dark man <laughs> 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 and uh it was you know, it, was, it was summertime it was wintertime summertime Sorry. so he was inside the house and he he wasn't all tan he wasn't bleached yet so yeah. he was black black and tan and it was dark and, and there was hay in there and it was wet and nasty you know how it is there, yeah, like you run, you run the in, the in the back end of him I thought it was some like, some logs leaning against the thing right there. I'm like, every time i push it over and try to get over there, I'd come... <laughs> push you right Boom, back. I'm right, <laughs> <and> back
2: over. all <laughs> right, you know, turns around, and the white lips turn around and look at me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 like, yeah spit flying at you. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. What do you say, gents? Should we bring Mr. Barker on, and, and let's hear his story?
3: Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, oh, all
2: right. Hold now, hold further hold. ado... Now, Marcus, the, the thing is, man, we're both movie nuts, right? We talk about Peter Ber- Berg's film because he's a friend of yours and he's, he's a, a wonderful director. But this time, I think we're coming from something in more my speed, right? The documentary film. All right. <laughs> the, the educational stuff for the where, us. Where it counts kind of stuff. The where it counts <laughs> kind of stuff. And, and I got to tell you, bringing... Bringing Greg on today is is just a, a powerful treat for me. One of his Frontline special, Ghost of Rwanda, back in the day, was was one of the most powerful things. I I'm a huge Frontline fan. Uh, I love Will Lyman, right, the the narrator, and he's an amazing dude. And the way he makes it, and and I and it just the the power of Greg's film and that was it hooked me. And so. Fast forward and the fact that what he's doing in releasing Legion of Brothers, the story of Fifth Group and the original uh, horse riders of, of northern Afghanistan, and to have him on, bro, we're going to have to increase our game today and be a lot more intelligent, I think. Can you do that? Uh. Oh, yeah. Reach deep for the. <laughs>
3: the I know. That Real, get, Real. Wizard, you better deep. get on this Real one. deep. We yeah, wiz- got a the wizard, so right I know
2: he'll throw out throw on some awesome. Well, let's just get into it. Let- Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, let's welcome Greg Barker to the show. Greg, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Awesome to be here.
2: Very cool. All right, all right. So, Greg, yeah. what what we oh. want to do is is we we gotta loosen our brains up a, a little bit. We gotta we gotta massage the gray matter, so to speak. So, how we like to do that instead of doing like Sudoku or some kind of challenging math problems or some, we have a little fun Please. game called the Mad Minute. And as you're very familiar, you've done that wonderful documentary called Manhunt, the search for Osama bin Laden, where you got to spend a lot of time with some analysts from the agency and some case officers and some really amazing people. They know what a mad minute is, but our mad minute is set up to be fun, right? There's no there's no ex- <laughs> <laughs> there's no existential danger <laughs> uh of, of our deaths or anybody else's deaths. So this is just a fun time to get warmed up. So we're gonna shoot some rapid fire questions at you just to develop some rapport and, and, and get this process going before we get we get in the meat and potatoes. Are you ready, sir?
1: I had four beers last night, but I'm stoked on coffee, so I'm, I'm good. I'm ready.
2: <laughs> That's all you need, a little caffeine and hate in the morning. That's yeah. it. All right. Yeah. All right. Marcus, fire away, brother. All right. What was your first car?
1: Uh, my first car was a Ford station wagon that my neighbor crashed three days after I got it when I was 16 years old.
0: It had that huge back <laughs> swinging back door it was so hot yeah it did yes it did <laughs> did, you have,
2: <laughs> did, you, did you have the wood paneling on the side too do
1: you know it wasn't quite at that level it it, it, it was nearly there yeah oh, i
2: love it. i remember going on a family trips up to michigan we had one of those it was yellow and and my parents would have that big back seat that faced the other way no seat belts no nothing playing with my gi joes in the back Great memories. Oh, yeah, Station no, wagon. No, no, no baby
0: seat, right? Oh, up no. in the floorboard or up in the window. <laughs> <laughs> Wizard, yeah, you, yeah you had I loved you. it.
1: And I, I, <laughs> um, yeah, I had it, got it on my 16th birthday, bought it from my dad, parked it out front, and Greg Jacobson, who lived up the road, came home one night driving too fast and totaled it. Uh, that was it, but then I got an Audi right right after that. Oh, got that's a good trade cars. up. <laughs> yeah,
3: a trade <laughs> up. <laughs> all
2: right, <laughs> yeah, right. We Wiz- Wizard, throw one out, bud.
3: Is Google more likely to save the world or destroy it?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, man. Um, well, it's like any technology; we either it can it can do both, right? So, I think it's yeah. that is up to us, you and me, how we use the technology—not just Google, but all of this. This uh, stuff that's changing the way we think. So I tend to be an optimistic guy, um, but I think the jury's out on that one. We won't know for a while.
0: On, uh, I mean, that's uh, a very fair uh, answer. Yeah, nice. me
2: too. All on us. Very fair. I like that. All right. Amazing. All right. Thank you. Thank you. What movie? <laughs> what movie? If you could only watch one movie for the rest of your life, what movie would that be?
1: It just You know, I've got young kids, and uh, we just watched it on Father's Day. They wanted to watch. They were arguing about which movie to watch at the end of the day. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to pick the movie, and I picked Casablanca. Oh,
3: and, uh, bless and your heart. Oh,
1: wow.
2: That's it was, awesome. Right? Yeah. Cause
1: it's, just, it's just so my, – my 13-year-old boy is into the Second World War. It's all about right and wrong, tough choices, choices of love. Ingrid Bergman is so mm-hmm. beautiful when she walks in. Bogart's amazing. Yeah, I could watch it. I literally could watch it every day. <laughs> so,
2: I, I, you know what's It's great. Yeah. Cra- My nice. old man was the saint. That was his favorite movie, too. And that's what he would want to watch every time it would come on. I, this cool. is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, right? I, yeah. I mean, it's one of the greatest <laughs> final scenes in movie history, man. Oh, I love it. Great question. Great, mm. a great answer. Great. Go for it, Marcus.
0: Uh, if you could travel back and make a documentary about... Either the Civil War, the Revolutionary War, or World War II, which one would it be? I'll take, let's take this, change it up. If you go back and make a documentary on any of the wars, which one would it be? I'd go back to the first, whatever,
1: when when was the first time that human beings fought each other in an organized conflict? So when was that? wow. The very first time, the origins of war, which would make it completely timeless.
2: Wow. You know, thank you for saying
0: that. Yeah. Absolutely, because people are like, "Oh, it's the boatmen when they came in and took down the Sumerians. or, the, or uh, yeah, I don't uh, know if we have records for that, that right? right? Yeah, uh, they're going got to get it.
1: that other village or those other that other tribe or something. Right, had to happen at some point. Let's do this together, and let's. This is how we're going to do it, and uh, I, I want to document that.
2: Uh, our bet is yeah, that be it had fascinated. to do with a woman. That's what our bet yeah. is, right?
0: I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> over a woman, in a, and that's clubs and rocks time right there, right? <laughs> oh, I want your woman with whack. your dinosaur. <laughs> like, instead of a pit bull, you got a T Rex. here, boy. Get, re- go. Re- release the T Rex. Yeah. <laughs> All right, You're
3: wizard. Right? All right, go, bud. Oh man, um, if you could give truth serum to any one person, who would it be, living or dead? Uh
1: person that comes to mind right now is Vladimir Putin.
3: Awesome. he continues perennially to pop up in this show. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> did,
2: did you watch Oliver Stone stuff with him, Greg, by any chance?
3: I have not watched
1: yet. I watched uh, just clips. I'm going to watch the whole thing.
2: It's really, um, really good.
1: It looks fascinating. You know, just and, you know, I, I have no problem with giving with spending four hours with Putin and spending giving him their airtime. Even if he's lying or bullshitting, it's like we still need to. It's like you got to know who your adversary is and, uh, and why they're. Uh, been so I'm, I'm fascinated.
2: By yeah, I, I that was a great answer. That was a great huh. answer. All right, all right. Uh, if you could pick any other dream career other than what you're doing right now, what would it be?
1: Yeah. So that was the. That's easy. So the one thing I when I was a my dad was in the Navy and I um, almost went into the um, into ROT, Navy ROTC and. And I so I wanted to be a pilot, a Navy pilot, and I never. The only time I ever really regretted it not doing that. I decided at the last minute it wasn't for me, and I went a different path. But once I was, um, I was filming with uh, with the captain of the Nimitz in the uh, uh, in the Gulf at night during flight operations on the bridge, and wow. uh, and just watching how he orchestrated all that and uh, kept it kept it all going and. Somebody in the engine room did something wrong and pissed him off. And how he handled that firmly, clearly, but kept the focus on the mission was really impressive. And I just thought I would love to do that job. And, uh, you know, but Mm. but as you know, those guys get that job for like a year and a half, two years, and they're off to some desk job or something like that. So it's just such a, but I thought that moment in that, his position was like a dream job.
2: I would agree with you. Like in all of Navy leadership positions, the running of a carrier during war in flight, you're, you're exactly right. It's Power one of the man, most glorious things there is, man. That's really cool that you actually got to see it though.
0: I, I still one, one of the most powerful men on the planet. Yeah. It was awesome. he was like, basically my age and it was just cool. It was just really cool to see him. Yeah. We were talking about that the other day about how the oldest, uh, running business is, is our military. Yeah. And, and the transition of power and yeah. the guys who make up the rank. And, and it's funny because you, you say that exactly right, man. I, they you, you go through the military and you gain all this experience. And then as, the more experience you get, the less physical. It's funny because in the beginning, it's all physical, right? They take that physical and they yep. wear your ass to the ground, dude. And throughout that time, you're gaining yeah. that knowledge. And then they're like, now it's time to do the, the mental part of it. But you're right, man. Them guys running those... Flight operations out there on that battle group, just and, and you're worried about them running a, a company back here at the states. And, you, and this guy's running planes and helos, and you oh got yeah. a dude in the engine who's, people who's, who's pissing on the spark is. plugs or yeah. something like that. You know, it's just it's crazy, man. <laughs> right? The spark Did you plugs just say plugs. pissing on the
1: spark plugs? And this huge this huge ship that they got a this huge ship they're in charge of too. So it's the whole na- navigation and naval aspect of it, just that that pure seamanship side of things, you know, which is not everyone can do either. Yeah, I thought of that, you know, that captain of that ship that was in that horrible accident off Japan. I mean, he was asleep in his bunk and like his career most likely is just Done. over, oh, even it? though he wasn't even awake. But that's like, how did that, what, what led to that? How were they trained? Why was that situation ever, you know, it's just the responsibility that a Navy captain has at sea. It's really unique in our society, I think. It's,
0: it's fascinating. That's just, it's it's awesome. It's it is all awesome. this time, right? It's Captain's Law. As soon as you go out in international waters, he runs the show. Most powerful man out there. And, and you're right. Yeah. He's responsible. 6,000 people on that carrier, right? Yeah. And if anything goes wrong, it is on his butt. Yeah. Well, not to mention nuclear
3: weapons. Yeah.
0: Well, let's but, yeah. good yeah. point. Yeah, good man. point. The just, there's those weapons. things.
2: There's those things.
0: Yeah, they use, well, the most powerful man in the world is a nuclear sub-captain. When he, as soon as he goes underwater... Yeah. What and are he's, you gonna do? He's gone. Yeah.
2: Gone.
0: Yep. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. All
2: right. All right. All right. Go ahead, Marcus. Fire right. one more at him. Wait, let me we'll- let me let me get oh, one. I, yeah, I gotta yeah. ask him
3: this question. Yeah, go. Uh, I'm really curious. If you could live in the shoes of anyone who's been a part of one of your films,
2: oh, or great
3: question. Uh we'll say a month.
2: Who would it be? That's a great question. Yeah, it is. You're I on am- fire, wizard! <laughs> on fire.
1: That's a great, great question. It would pro- well my first thought was probably one of the case officers from Manhunt, just because I found that that job so fascinating. I'm not sure I would have the the guts and the wherewithal to do it, but I would love to be tested. But then I also thought. Then I thought of this this guy from from the film you mentioned, The Ghost of Rwanda. Um, there was a guy who's like became my personal hero. Who was this uh, um, head of the Red Cross in Rwanda um, during the oh. genocide and And ended up kind of by playing all these different sides and walking a very sort of murky ethical line, saving probably 60,000 people.
2: Oh, my God. And uh,
1: and then never talking about it again. And then he told the story to me for the first time. time. But I just thought he was just the most kind of humble, but clear headed, moral man I'd ever come across.
2: Wow. What an influence right there. Well, well, that's we're going to end it on that one because that was so amazing. I, well we, you know the show our show is uh direct directed at our listeners in terms of the people that are out there struggling to find that drive that spark that lights the fire yeah. in their gut in order for them to develop a never quit mindset whether it's they want to be a filmmaker and they're just they just downloaded adobe premiere for the first time and they're like ah they're going nuts or it's the people in yeah. a crisis emotionally so what we pr- do is we bring amazing people such as yourselves who have really dedicated themselves to the highest level in their professions to come on and tell their greatest never quit story or stories and so greg if you could would you please share that story with our listeners
1: and it's, it's great you're doing that because i mean all of us have moments where where so we have to, we just want to do nothing more than quit. Hey, <laughs> I man, I it. but it's like you know. So perseverance, and it's that's what I try to teach my kids. It's just like <clears throat> the greatest quality. Also, the the hardest one to teach. It ultimately has to come from from within, right? So you know, um, I think actually, I'll, um, I was thinking about which one. I'll just start with this with with a story from the whole. My whole experience making this documentary about the Rwandan genocide, um, which was, uh, it began because I was in a neighboring country, Uganda, doing a project on Idi Amin. Uh, it was a dictator, obviously. And, and a, a guy I knew there who was helping me on the film, had um, his mom was, had been from uh, Rwanda and had escaped before the killing began. So this was like in the mid-90s. And I was just intrigued by his stories of what had happened there, and decided I wanted to go to Rwanda myself and just to see. Because at the time I was kind of in my, I guess, early, mid to late twenties, I was traveling around a lot, and was I was obsessed with kind of areas of conflict and um, and what people did in moments of crises and how they were tested awesome. and how they kind of came through them, you know. So and cool. uh, and yeah, mm. and so I went there, and like I wanted to like. Find a way of telling the story of of the Rwanda genocide in a way that almost evoked the killing fields kind of the thing. Absolutely, you know, like mm-hmm. let's see if there's a story of redemption in the middle of this. And um, and I have to say it was just so for so long it was kind of so depressing there were just stories after stories of horrible you know horrible ways that people were slaughtered you know systematically and and I kind of got this deep insight into the, the darkness of the human soul, because I think my view was what happened there was, you know, of course, particular to that country, but also universal. You know, the humanity is capable of incredible evil. But it, what I kept sort of in my mind, I kept thinking there has to be some redemptive story here to tell. There has to be. Otherwise, I don't want to tell it. It's just too depressing. So I kept looking and looking and, and, I remember so clearly I met this uh, I heard about this American who worked for the United Nations, who'd stuck around during the genocide. Everybody left basically, so the government started killing one side of the population called, called the Tutsis, and the very quickly, as part of some master plan to eliminate that that ethnic group, and the world, the Americans all the European countries that plus the United Nations, which had peacekeepers there left <laughs>
0: basically. They, they and tail of and took said, off. This is.
1: <laughs> they just left. Uh-huh. Like, this is too crazy. We're out of here, you know, and uh, it's just Rwandans, just Africans killing each other. When in fact, it was a government systematically killing its people. Um, and I met this, I, I heard about this American dude who stayed with the United Nations. I went to see him and he was still there. And, um, and I said, oh, I hear you're a hero. And and he's like, you know, trying to provoke him. He's like sitting there and drumming his fingers on his, his desk. And he's like, you know, um, I'm not, but I know a guy who was, who turns out he had a close friend of his who was an African peacekeeper from Senegal who ended up saving probably about a thousand people. His story was sort of told in the movie Hotel. Seller Wando, although they gave oh, yeah. credit to another guy, right? And mm. I realized that there was this insight into into the when the, the the worst side of humanity is 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 revealed. Also, the best can come out, and that's what I was focused on, which led me to this that that, that Red Cross guy I referenced earlier. Is that there is in moments of crises, most people don't don't kind of you you just never know how you're going to how you're going to act and most of us i don't think rise to our to, to our best selves but some people do and those are the those are the the real heroes and i just kept looking and looking and i eventually found them and i tried and i tried to make this film that was depressing horrific on one level but also redemptive of the human of the human experience and and what is the best of of us and and that's kind of that's a in the process of that took about 7 years Oh my God. From the very time I I finished the documentary and, uh, and it was quite a hard sort of just on a personal level, not to overstate it, but it was a very hard journey to go on because of the, uh, the number of stories I heard that were so horrific, but I just kept focusing on it and focusing on it and felt like in the end, this would have some impact. And, uh, you know, and and like I'm thrilled that you've seen the film. I've, I know it's still in in high schools around the country. But what made it kind of worth it for me is I was we showed us we showed it in Washington to some government officials, and uh, one guy who was very high up in the State Department at the time. This was during the Bush administration. Mm-hmm. Came up to me. And he's just this is so haunting, and you know, it's just I can't believe people in my positions made these mistakes and. The fact that you've got them on camera admitting it and talking about their and shortcomings just makes me want to do a better job, and and not that hmm. you know it solved all the problems, but I think it provoked um, some, some reflection on people on very high levels, um, you know, who were confronting other crises. So, you know, I mean, it was just like it just was a was a story of perseverance and going into the kind of leaping into the the darkness um, human soul. I remember the very last interview I had to do for the film, all of these interviews were incredibly long, incredibly emotional, and I had to talk to a guy who, you know, again, had seen this horrible stuff and kind of basically failed his own test of what he thought he should have done at the time. And the very first, I I, I, I had to do this interview, interview. We were about to finish the film, and beforehand, I just felt like you know, I was leaping off into the unknown. I didn't want to do it because I I had been through enough of these interviews. and They were so, so draining. And and I know where I had to take this guy. And it was like, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it's like fucking like 20 miles. Into the <laughs> and, and, and I just went down there and down there and then I got this. I got what I needed. He told a story, which he'd never told before. And so it was kind of redemptive for him. And I came out at the end, went to the bathroom and just totally bawled my eyes out. It's like I never I never want to do these to to listen to these stories again. But you know, I did it and and that interview was crucial to the film and 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 there it is. So it's just that process of like not just give, not giving up, but just keep just keep going and like not being afraid of where the journey's gonna take you because the journey's worth worth uh worth worth going on.
2: It it, it immediately invokes like when you're telling this and you going from because obviously you hear one story and then they tell you about their cousin or their friend or whatever. It evokes yeah. the whole Hearts of Darkness, Joseph Conrad book to me, that you're you're getting pulled down this river within the human condition that's just bleak and dark, yeah. but you can't, it's like you can't turn away. You're drawn to it because the story yeah. has to be told. It's just, you can't stop it. And And now all of a sudden, It's like you've been touched for some reason whatsoever. You've been tapped to tell that story. Do you feel that? I mean, is there a sense at you, though, after you've heard a hundred horrific stories that you say, I got to stop this. This is going to destroy me. But what is the thing inside your house? What do you tell yourself that says, I got to get one more. I got to get one more.
3: How do you maintain perspective after? Yeah. I mean, seven years and all that.
1: Yeah, it's just well, yeah. partly. Yeah, I mean, you do. I did. I, did, I mean, in that film. I just felt driven. I felt like I, I, I had an insight. I had the access that was kind of unique, and people were. I became like this kind of confessor to people who yeah. had been through this. So they, people even sought me out. You know, and also it was just like. These people were so um, damaged by what they'd experienced, and most of them hadn't really talked about it. I remember one phone call I made to some guy who was who had been there and who'd lost a friend, and I just called him up and I said, "Look, I want to talk to you about this this guy." I mentioned the name, and the man just the phone dropped, and I just heard sobbing. You know, i wow. just like, you know, that's you don't get that reaction, right? And so I just, I just felt like this was a story that I I was, yeah, kind of driven or called or whatever to to, to tell. But I think, you know, the it also can be addictive. And so it's sure. helpful in my business to have this kind of it's all project based so or mission based. So then you've got a film and you're making the film. And so it all has to go into that. And I try to, you know, over time I get the experience to know what I need for the film. I try not to you know, do interviews, particularly emotional interviews with, with people who I know I might not really need because it's hard for them. And if it's not necessary, I don't want to put them through that if I don't have to. And so, you know, in that case, you know, I finished that film. I haven't been back to Rwanda. I mean, one day I, I, I want to go and I want to take my kids, but I haven't been back. I just kind of closed that chapter, put it aside. I feel like I've got a book about it in me at some point, but. Not ready to do that yet, and I just moved on to other stuff. So you know, it's kind of you know, I know a lot of combat journalists who get you know sucked into the the adrenaline of it. I don't need to tell you guys this, And you can't let it go.
2: Yeah, know, we you know. we had Laura Logan. We interviewed Laura Logan on the show, and you know, she described know, these Laura. she described these extensive embeds with the SEAL teams in Afghanistan, ODA, and in Iraq. Yeah. That It became addictive to her.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, when I was I was a freelancer in London working at CNN, just in the control room and stuff there, right? but I knew a lot of guys coming, this was like during Bos- uh, Bosnia and Sarajevo, and um, a lot of journalists who were just so doing great work in the field, they'd come back and they'd have to w- report on like, you know, British Rail, you know, privatization and shit. Like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 right, now, man. But they were just living for the next mission, and just and I could see their lives, like personal lives, being destroyed, and drinking a lot, and and I wanted, I had wanted to do that. I wanted to be a foreign correspondent for the big networks and just a war correspondent. And I just thought, you know, this is not. I don't want to live that life. I like, I so I kind of compartmentalized that kind of that need for that adrenaline rush and put it in certain films you know but it's yeah so that's and i learned that through the rwanda process of like going so deep and then coming out and trying to put it in perspective with the rest of my life
2: Uh, one of the questions that i want it seems like that was a catalyst for you to get into kind of the twofold of the story right you one you have the historical uh importance of it and as it relates to you know how we perceive uh the human condition across civilizations but then there's always the 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 individual story too and it it, and it seems like once you did that it really catapults you towards these very significant issues and you know in pieces of time and and i'd like to pivot towards manhunt if you could you know i have I have a lot of I think we yeah. all have a lot of friends that were involved not only in the actual Abbottabad raid but also the twenty year process uh of yeah. the bin Laden death starting in what, you know, mid ninety, late nineties, all the way through the, yeah. the the incredible journey through to that, you know, the what 2010 and coast bombing and all that. So can yeah. you can yes. you help us understand why you make that? Why you look for that kind of duality in your filmmaking?
1: Well, I I look for that because that's part of the human condition. I mean, that that is the essence of it. Like so, um, with Manhunt, yeah. I mean, so the night of the raid, um, I was home in California, which is where I live now, and um, I was watching the um, celebrations on, on TV outside the White House, and. I mean, of course, I was glad they got him, but I didn't feel like I thought the the, the kind of the cheering and the yeah it was just kind of was just misplaced right because i I just knew mm. <clears throat> from my experience I knew enough of people in that world to know that there was this was a dark chapter in our history Amen. from nine eleven to to the bottom which I think you know we'll look back on as a ten year chunk of time and And I was like, there's, there's a story here that is not this cheering. This is this, there's a, a story of, of pain, suffering, resolve, heroism, but it's not like, you know, yeah, we got him. You know, it's, (laughs) it's, it's it's a lot. (laughs) And that was, I got to make the story and I got to do it from the inside out, you know? And, um. You know, and so I think the very the, the, the film begins with like Marty Martin, one of the case officers, and Abaco is one of the targeters. And they're just like sitting at home, like Cindy Store, an analyst, sitting at home, like and they're not cheering. They're just like reflecting, and they're you can feel the weight of that ten years on them, and for some of them dating back because they were like tracking Bin Laden before nine eleven, obviously. But I just felt like you know this had to. This had to be an answer to that, to those, to those cheering crowds. Not to say we shouldn't celebrate, of course, but and be acknowledge it. But to know that this is not like it's like when people like like yeah, yeah, we, we watch war movies and just like
2: yeah, we got it, yeah, it's great. It's
1: like there's <laughs> just so much more to it than right, that, right. you know. And it's this darkness mm. to, to the human condition that is we have to not just you have to like. Just not stay there, not look at the dark side, but you have to acknowledge it. It's like this was a this is difficult. And this is how we this is the full range of human of human emotions at play here and human experience. And we just that's why I felt compelled to make that. And I'm just fascinated by, so I set out to make a spy movie that was a documentary. Just like you know, <laughs> let's not do some boring. Let's make a fucking spy movie and make it real with real spies. And that's what I did.
2: Well, I, <laughs> what I love about it was you know, you, you did tell you were able to portray that grief and all the, all the people that I know that, that work for that group that were involved in it and all the guys that we know, I mean, I mean, right. you know, intimately close friends of ours that yeah. were part of a lot of those, you know, the, 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 the prequel to the thousands of raids that, you know, led up to it, uh, you know, it yeah. is about each one of their stories and that weird pull back in where you keep going back and we yeah. can't let it go and we can't let it go and and it's it's remarkable the way you're able to show that drive right and it's and it's complete dysfunction right any any normal mm. human being out there looks at one of us or why you do it or why you keep going back and you keep going back in the worst places in the world and after the worst human beings the worst evil but it's like you can't quit. It's like a drug, right, Marcus?
0: Sure. I mean, it gets inside of you just from like building that base. You start it up, and the, and the more you go down that rabbit's hole, uh, the more you want to go. Uh, and uh, it's kind of interesting because l- looking at everything that you, you've you done and, and from my own experience with Pete and making a, something that was true to life and bringing it to the, to the screen, and then you do that, but you take it all the way. And I saw the transition that Pete made just having to deal – with with our situation, then to live with us and, and to train with us and to actually become huh. one. You, you develop that mental focus and kind of that overall attitude that we have. And that's kind of what carries you into that. And just like us, when we get back, I mean, yeah, it was horrible over there. About two weeks, we're chomping at the bit to get back back over there and get huh. back around the boys because yeah. that's, that's what yeah. kind of makes you up. And I, I was listening to you talk about the day that came out that we got bin Laden and everyone was cheering. And I, I, I remember that too. And uh, I was thinking about what I did, and it seems like the the generation that was born kind of after the hit. I mean, one of the ways we celebrate victory is we cheer, just like it was so horrible when nine eleven went down. Everyone cried because when you lose, we acted the yeah. same way. And now we had the victory, and now you know it helps you remember that 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 moment in time, right? When there's that big celebration, And the rest of us we were like, "Good,
2: yeah, you know, thank I just, God." I just remember going, "Good, yeah,"
0: you know, yeah, yeah we yeah. sure did. Mm-hmm. And um, not to go go back man that thing you did on Rwanda that's just you're unique in your in the way you're approaching so you have to actually get out there and live in that When you're dealing with a country in a civil war so to speak and you're over there you look they don't care about us when when we're fighting them but when you got a civil war going on they really don't care about outsiders man so the danger level is just through the off the, the roof man and right. I mean you had is the, it was the, the Tootsies, right? I don't want to always mess that up, but in the Hutus killing each other. And then you had, I mean, you had Hutus killing moderate Hutus. I mean, you're not, you're not even knowing what's going on. And people, okay. what you do yeah. is you shed a light on some of the atrocities going on in humanity. And it, I can only imagine the taxing, the drain on, 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 uh, on having to see that all the time. On top of which, you have to put it into... The stuff you got to cut out. That's what I'm fascinated. You know what I'm talking with, about? You got right? like, oh man, I need to put this is kind of important, and and I, yeah, I don't have to put it in for this to make sense, man. But if and it's a lot of times it's those one little details that that makes that congressman go, hey man, what the hell's going on over there? What can I do to yeah. improve? Yeah.
2: Can Can you describe yeah. your editing process, Greg? I mean, because you're you're delivering massive stories about massive things. How do you pick and choose what stays and what goes?
1: Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's hard. I mean, there's a phrase in editing called "you got to kill your babies," right? Yeah, so ah, to, like, yeah, <laughs> right, right. Kill your <laughs> so, I
0: heard, you I know, was
1: So, like, what? There's all these scenes that you love that, like, oh, this is great, and of course, you're always, you know, remembering, oh, when we were there, this was such an amazing scene to film. Of course, the audience doesn't care or know what the context. It's just what's on the screen. So it's actually pretty ruthless. You have to like be very focused on what the film is about, who the main characters are, what the narrative arc is, and uh, I try to keep films you know as compact as possible. Uh, Legion of Brothers is like basically eighty minutes, where um, it could have been much longer. But just to keep things watchable and, and engaging, and so you gotta like you just gotta cut stuff out and you gotta be ruthless about it. It's you know and I love editing. I, I mean I don't do it myself. I work with very talented editors. But I love the process, and uh, uh, but it's all it's about keeping focus. It's about keep, because it's, it's most most films, um, particularly true of documentaries, are too long. you know because right. people get too attached and oh they need this you need, people need to understand this bit. Well, they don't actually. They need to watch a movie that is is really compelling and engaging. if, they're, if they they want to know more, they'll go read the books, they'll go on the internet. And find out more, but let's just tell a good story. But it's a it's a ruthless process, actually, you know. And then I got got to call up people and say, yeah, you weren't you're not in the movie because of this, this, and yes, that's a, it's a hard part, but you know, it's part of the process.
3: So, so Greg, why the documentary format as opposed to a fictional narrative? It sounds like you're very invested in the emotional impact. There's a quote here that you have. Um, You said stories that work as stories that connect our audiences to issues that they otherwise wouldn't connect with. Stories that connect an American audience, a Western audience, with the rest of the world in a way that is visceral and entertaining and feels relevant. I love it. Um, It sounds like you're very invested in that emotional impact. And and based on what you just said there, you know, make sure that's conveyed. Why the documentary format as opposed to, you know, a fictional narrative or uh, your Hollywood film, so to say?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, it's partly, it's, I guess it's a twofold answer. Partly it's just the way things work out, right? I mean, I, (laughs) as it just happened, I I grew up on the West Coast and went to London and for grad school, ended up doing this kind of stuff. Um, But I just, I also just, I just love it. I just love the real world experience. And uh, um, I mean, you just can't make some of this stuff up, right? So I just, I, 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 it. There's nothing like going out in the field, finding people, real people, you know, getting close to them, having them tell you their story, trusting me with their story. It's kind of, and then finding a way of making that into something that is watchable. It's a great—I just love it. I mean, I, I do have other—I I would love to make a fic- fiction film at some point about, but probably something drawn from real-world experience. There are some stories that you can, that are true stories that are best told as as a as narrative fiction because like you know lone survivor mm-hmm. for instance it's not like you can't making that as a documentary the, what, what footage is there you, you, right, you yep. that's the story that has to be told you know, and so that's a that's a, mm-hmm. a, a natural narrative you know but you know and it was interesting with uh, manhunt coming out right around the time as 30 came out right so right, you know right, kind of like yeah. seeing the two different ways of approaching the story you know, it was, it was, interesting to be a part of
0: that, but I just love the process of docs, you know? I, and I think, you know, when you turn the television on, you sit down and man, you, that, you know, you're watching a documentary kind of oh, makes you certain. pay attention a little harder too. I mean, you just kind of, with that being said though, some of the, the movies that are made, I guess that is the rub, right? You got the documentary, Hey, this is the no kid and what's going on. Then you got a film out there that has all the flashing and everything like that. And that, that kind of, it depends on the audience too. I would imagine. Absolutely. Right? Your demographic. Uh, I remember. Uh, when you were yeah. talking about the editing that is man to kill kill your favorite baby it it's uh it's it was good to have an outside outside eyes outside perspective because you we get so locked in and because it's a true story for instance we uh the rescue for the helicopter to come and get me out of there and all that all that stuff man uh that in real life that happened at night and I mean it was a nightmare uh, to get me out of there and the and the part about it that was hardest to explain was all those guys are alive right yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And the, the movie was was filmed over all the guys that that didn't make it, and um, you know what yeah. what those guys? To, I, I was in hell. I mean hell, right? And they and y'all came and got yeah. me. That's just the most unbelievable thing I I'll ever live with. Yeah. And I'll, to give credit to them for coming to get me, I I mean, there's documentaries out there, and and I thank them all the time. I'm like man, dude, I'm sorry. You know, we just had to do it this way because it's funny when you're talking about the time a movie. Has, Pete would say it takes a movie needs to be as long as it takes a man to sit there without having to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and you, you, you adjust, you adjust, <laughs> right, right, totally. Greg? Right, yeah, I'm talking, yeah. I had so much fun in Hollywood learning all this stuff. You know, I love, I love watching them, but watching them being made is co- completely different altogether, man. So, I mean, it has you to know what my favorite scene that. in that
2: movie is, is your cameo, bud. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Are you in it? Oh, yeah, he's no got that. a
0: great just, cameo. Uh, it wasn't scripts or anything. We were just all sitting around this pit. It was early in the morning. You know how it works, man. A lot of hurry up and wait, just kind of like the military. So we were just sitting there, and they just kind of yeah. pan the cameras around on it. And a scene unfolded, and then Pete was like, wait a minute, do that again. Let's re- let's film that.
2: <laughs> it's was like, just, uh, it was like right? a Stan Lee superhero cameo. All right, Greg, <laughs> I, I, I want to pivot and get into the, the, uh, the crocs of your new film, legion of brothers and and i gotta tell you man awesome. i i hit the ground i was in bagram in late may of 2002 and man that their story was still you know epic and it was still did you hear about the fifth group guys and mm. can you tell us what uh. provoked you wanting to tell that story because manhood it's kind of the the ending, the lead-up to the ending of that 10 years, now you're back to the beginning, yeah. right? Kind of the John Wayne-esque component of it. What made you want to tell this story?
1: Well, partly because it was the beginning. It's like, I, you know, we've all been living in this <laughs> post-9-11 era now, right? It seems to be going on for a, right. a long time. Uh, and I, I, I was thinking, I was, I was, I just felt, for a while I was thinking about is there a war story I could tell, you know, is there a film? And, and so I was thinking like, well, maybe we should go back to the, to the very beginning, the origin story. And, and as it happened, I, um, in 2002, like March, April, 2002, I got to meet a lot of these guys from fifth group. I was, I was working for frontline and they asked me to do something on, you know, what had just happened in Afghanistan. And, fifth group was making some of these guys available um and to to me so i went to fort campbell and, and met probably about 40 of them you know and um and heard their stories and put some of it in this in this frontline documentary but it just stuck with me um particularly the stories of uh, the horse soldier team 595 and um and uh the team in the south five seven four and so I met you know back then I met Mark nuch and his team and Jason Amory and his the survivors of his team and and I just couldn't get out of my head for years, you know, and I kind of kept in touch with some of them um and uh and then I just felt like you know a few years ago I was like <clears> there's <throat> this is the time to tell this story you know um and the stars kind of aligned, and it was my producing partners, uh, Peter Bergen, um, yeah, new, uh, McRaven and, and went to see him. And it was just like, McCraven wanted, you know, look at maybe telling some stories about special forces other than seals. Sorry. No, <laughs> and, it needs um, to happen.
2: And, God bless you for doing yeah, yeah. that. I'm a, those I'm boys. Craven's a man. Yeah. Awesome. So when we premiered
1: the film at Sundance in January, we had like three of the guys from the film there, if you're four, and Mark and Jason and Scott Neal and so they got a standing ovation. It was awesome. It just meant so much to these guys to see this, you know, this Hollywood crowd I was going with acknowledge it. them <laughs> and you know just be it was literally a three or four minute standing ovation. The first question from the front yeah, row, the guy, like raised his hand like, yes, yeah, First, so are you guys like SEAL Team
2: Seven? Oh no! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Oh, right. that's yeah, horrible. Lying, dude. That's
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's why we're hated right Just, there. That yeah. is why we're hated. Yeah, absolutely, man.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. God, dang, dude.
2: <laughs> what you know, now Greg, I've only seen the trailer, and I gotta tell you, that's what hooked me, and that's why I, that's why oh, I brought yeah. it to the yeah. team, and that I really wanted to say, hey, let's try and get in touch with Greg. Um, you know, cause I've always wanted to bring one of those guys on and we, we will do that eventually, but what I thought would be the greatest initiator for that is really to bring the guy who saw the, 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 the bigger picture from these individuals yeah. and what it meant and what it meant long-term for them. So without spoiling the, the movie for people, Can you describe a little bit what you experienced by telling these soldiers' story, so to speak, and the story of their lives afterwards, too?
1: Yeah, I mean, so the film, yeah, so it's basically, uh, it's the story of what happened, you know, these first teams that went in right after 9-11 into Afghanistan and, uh, you know, helped overthrow the the Taliban and disperse al-Qaeda, this amazing mission within about 10 weeks or so. But half of it's also with them living their lives today, and um, when in talking with them about how to make the film, um, you know, one of the uh, the direct action guys from the one of the direct action teams, Scott Neal, was saying, like, you know, we're just he's had, he had been very active with the Green Beret Foundation, and he felt like you know none of them had a good outlet to tell their own stories, and that people had gone you know, back after multiple deployments and felt kind of lost and had trouble getting on with it, you know, making their way in the world. And Absolutely. He's like, let's find a way of coming together and telling our stories again, because it's a way of healing and then moving on. And so part of the, a lot of the film is, is, is that, I mean, they, people who we've filmed with them going off on, you know, camping trips and, or family barbecues, Spent a lot of time with some of the families in the film to kind of because all of them I don't need to tell you guys this, but they're all like, you know, yeah, what we did is this, and but you know, our families paid a huge price. And, you know, obviously some families have, you know, stayed together, some didn't, all that kind of stuff, the range of human experience. But I really wanted to capture that, the full, you know, price of this long war and these long multiple deployments as told by the people who were like, if you think of it, like the first foot soldiers of the war in terror. Right. right. So, and, you know, I mean, I know there were other elements there and agency guys there, but you know, these are the guys who were able to tell the story from the first guys in and, um, and, and what impact it's had on them and their families and, and by extension then on us as a country, you know, and not to say we shouldn't still be out there, but it's at least acknowledge that this is now our, the longest war in, in our country's history and um, and mm-hmm. it's dropped by a narrow sliver of our population who will want to do it. Um, and, but it's got to it doesn't come, you know, without a price. And uh, we price. have to we have to acknowledge that. And that's not kind of what the story is of, of story of heroism, perseverance, cost of war, the nature of war. What happens when, when we go into battle institutionally? There's a whole element about, you know, these, in a way, they're, the initial missions <clears throat> are quite pure. You know, they don't have much communications with their commanders. They go off to link up with, you know, the Alliance and Hamid Karzai in the south. And these guys, these small ODAs are pretty independent. And they've got agency guys with them. And, but they're kind of out there and calling the shots as they see it on the ground. And uh, and and then at some point, you know, a higher command comes in and then things get more complicated. And it was kind of emblematic with how these these wars <laughs> are being fought.
3: And Absolutely. You them,
1: yeah. And, I, you know, and you talk to guys now and just like the amount of independence those guys had back then is kind of extraordinary. And it's also that independence that I think allowed them to do some pretty extraordinary things. So it's kind of like I tried to make a war film that worked on a lot of different levels. It's a great sort of emotional story, but also I think makes us reflect on how we fight these wars and the cost of them, both you know on the, on the men and women who do the fighting and and on the families and, and ultimately on, on, on us.
0: That first two, two squads that went in, that that's heavy, man. That's raw adventure. I mean, guys, that's go, the real deal. everybody goes into Afghanistan and been whipped. I mean, the Russians have just been whipped right before that, right? And those guys go ahead yeah. and it's, it's cool, man, when you're going in and making the map. In the route, mm. right? And what you were saying is that the, the autonomy they had to move Well, in I'm going to they- tell
2: you, I was using 30-year-old Russian maps and driving around yes. and, and 25 million landmines. I didn't think it was that cool. Right. Well, I was <laughs>
0: But, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. With the uh, Green Berets, man, they're designed to do that. I mean, that, right. the, the, the 18 Deltas, the Medic Series, everything, they're designed to go fit for internal defense, right? They they're go awesome in, set up it. shop, and, and that's how you win a war, man. You get the people on board, and then they take you and show you where the bad guy Arts is. And, and you're right. As soon as that flagpole moves in, and there's some brass in, it's, it's shave and a cut and check the watch bill, and, and the dynamic changes, right? And then ultimately, once the flagpole yeah. gets in, and, and they shift the the uh, all the everything up to the higher command. You know, the guy sitting behind the desk in the suit is calling the shots. Yes, yeah. that's, that's when stuff gets kind of uh, weird. Especially. When oh, right, absolutely! On, I, I like, remember like, when they oh, want us to do what? Yeah, that's not even in this country.
2: How does that even make sense, <laughs> man? <What? laughs>
3: that is so. That is so true. That arc of how that takes place.
1: Oh my it god! Is. Like, I, like, I watched what?
2: it in Kandahar and Bagram happen at that. Uh Greg, I want to ask you something on a personal note. Obviously, when you look at your body of work, you and and I've watched a lot of interviews you've done and you, you you are picking heavy heavy subjects and 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 there's something that keeps you coming back. There's something that, you know, drives you. Is it is it when you hear The individual story or is it the greater story itself and then that leads into the individual story what what is it for you that just has you keep going back and then what what is going to be the next one for you how how do you get any deeper within the human condition than you already have
1: um yeah good question uh you know i grew up in um my dad was in the Navy, as I said, and uh, but I grew up in the kind of happy, comfortable California suburbs you know, and uh I just felt like there had to be a bigger world out there, and partly it was from like the postcards my dad would send me when yeah. he would go all around the world. and I was like geez, that's like I want to go out there and and so you know i i haven't moved around i am back in California um with family it's a great place to live and raise family but there's just this world out there and I think we are so it's so easy as Americans to kind of like live within our bubble you know and because we you know of course our country is incredibly divided right now but let's remember we have an incredibly privileged um uh existence in this country compared to the rest of the world compared to human history and we are so lucky and um which is why, you know, all this arguing is just so, I find it so depressing. It's like, mm. come on, we've got to be able to get beyond all this. But having said that, I just feel mm. like we have to, you know, we kind of owe it to ourselves and uh, to the world to kind of like just be aware of what's going on out there. So I just feel drawn to, to you know, to finding stories about the world that relate to us, help us understand how things work, our, our, our place in the world. Because we are, whether we like it or not, an international country. Only, I mean, you look at where people, our forces are deployed. I mean, we are we are tied closely to the rest of the world, and we are. It's not going to change, whatever our foreign policy is. It's not going to change, and we have to, you know, kind of open our eyes, come out of our bubble, and and be aware. And and I try to, you know, inch that along by by looking for good stories. And I also just find it interesting on a personal level. I love the you know, being exposed to new ideas and new people and being challenged and having my own, you know, my own eyes open. I just I I I love it. I don't I don't wanna I'd go crazy if I was just stuck in one, you know, place and not seeing how other people live. You know, yeah, it's just kind of like a it is kind of like a um I wouldn't say it's like a way of life. It's just kind of evolved over the years. And I love the you know, on a personal level, I'm, you know, independent and don't really have a boss and, you know, people pay for the film. But I kind of like have my own, I can make my own schedule and I love all that too, you know. So it's, it kind of works for me on a personal level, but I just feel drawn to do this.
2: Well, all right. I, that, that's a wonderful answer and I appreciate your, your candidness with us. One more thing we, we always like to do at the end and we got two little more parts for you is, for the person that's sitting at, you know, uh, in their car listening to this, or wherever they might be, and they are listening to you and, and your passion behind storytelling, your passion behind America's relevance in the world, and the passion to leave behind something significant that it, it, it makes people better, so to speak, by educating them. What do you have to tell them? What are two or three things that you can share with our listeners that will help spark the fire in their gut? That will help them you know, face the, <laughs> the adversity when they get confronted with somebody saying, no, you can't do this. You can't make that film. You're not good enough here. What are the things that you tap into in yourself that, that cultivate the perseverance in you that you can share with our listeners?
1: yeah i mean well that's a great question i i think the for me um the greatest insight i've had in my sort of professional world is that despite all of the um what we see as dangers and conflict in the world i think fundamentally people are good you know and um even though I've spent a lot of my career looking at people who are not.
3: <laughs> um, but I
2: think I'd say. Yeah, that's
1: a significant <laughs>
3: statement coming from. Coming uh, from you. It is, that's right? a significant statement. What's that? That's a significant statement coming from someone with the breadth of experience uh, internationally that you have.
1: Yeah, what I do. I really think. I think that there's. So I try to, when, when I hit obstacles, I try to look at it from. Uh, somebody else's point of view why is the obstacle there how can I understand this this you know if, if there's a person or an institution blocking my way how do I get beyond that um, what are the you know if I was in that person's shoes would I see my project or me as an obstacle and even if so how what would I what would be the pressure points that might work for me to change my mind to let this guy do his film or whatever hmm. so I try to use empathy um, to cool. kind of like just to, to kind of break through things because I think if we, we just have to understand the other person's point of view, whether we agree with it or not, you know, but you have to understand it. And I think, you know, even if you talk to like, you know, CIA targeters, you know, chasing, you know, Al Qaeda or ISIS, bad guys, you know, they do develop a form of empathy of their target that they're, that they're facing because that is how you, it's like, that's how you, get into the mind and try right. to try to see what the, what the vulnerabilities are and i think you know most people are not like that but you, so you have you know the are if we can cultivate uh, the ability to kind of see the other and understand the other and kind of meet that you know the person who might be our adversary on some kind of common ground um, there that 's the way you I always find that progress happens in the shades of gray you know that cool. you know sometimes mm-hmm. there 's good and some pure good sometimes there 's pure evil, but most of the time it 's all very murky, and we have to like you know people are cap- capable of both good and evil often sort of almost at the same time, and so you have to like work in that kind of like that middle messy middle ground and but I think real progress happens there, and that comes through. Being empathetic, so I find that you know, for me, what keeps me going is just the faith in my fellow human being, even if I find them really annoying and and repulsive. Not to say I'm like perfect all the time. I get really annoyed with people, but you know, it doesn't always work. But you know, I find that that I, when I when I break through, is like the times I'm really trying to really trying to listen and try to understand um, another point of view, and then keep my own mission front center but know that you know it's you can't just be you have to be flexible in your thinking and in your and in your understanding of others to actually get what you want you know and it's and i applied that then to you know apply that also to your personal relationships as well as well as you know you know missions out in the field it just kind of i find that i i'm a calmer person when i when i kind of as a result of Having that realization, and it came through these kinds of experience i've had making these
3: films fascinating I, I love that let me I just want to extend that question a little further and maybe get one more yeah. point of advice based on you know you really strike uh, you really strike me as someone who has gone out, been unafraid to find your passion to pursue it, get yourself in a position where you're really making an impact i mean you seem that uh, this is your calling. What could you say to Perhaps younger people out there that are listening about um, not being afraid to, to pursue that—you know, their, their calling, going, going, discovering that for themselves.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I would say that
3: it's—you
1: uh, know—I really believe each one of us has a has a calling and a passion, but it can take a while to find it. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. um, I didn't really discover path until I was like twenty-six yeah. or something like that. Um, and it was kind of like a lot of people flailing around and not sure what I wanted to do and all that. And, um, you know, I just kept looking and trying to be open and eventually found, was lucky enough to get a break and found some, find something. But I, I think, you know, I think it's easy nowadays to kind of think that, you know, things sh- should happen quickly, you know, and, um, <laughs> ah, absolutely. And it doesn't, you know, and like, you know, I mean, I work with some a lot of young people, great young people, some people, you know, from this current generation, I think want things a little bit too fast and which and sometimes it can happen fast, which is great. But a lot of times it doesn't. It comes through hard work and, um, you know, it's just it's just being patient, but also and being open. And also, I think taking the risk to take yourself out of your comfort bubble, you know, and mm-hmm. that's like
2: you know Essential. I grew up in
1: you know bubble of southern california and, and it it really helped me to get out of it and I didn't really know why I wanted to get out of it at the time but I just knew I okay I got to get for the world and this and I'm so glad I did because it's like oh you know it's really good to kind of go out and and be challenged and and feel totally out of your depth and go to some other country or whatever and just like find find yourself through through adversity, you know, and that's what I would say, risks. You know, I get people will ask me, like, I want to direct films. I want to be like you. I was like, well, you know, what if you, you – maybe you need a bit more life experience to know what your voice is and then right. just go out and just leave L.A., do something, whatever it is. Just go take risks and do something with your life, and f- you'll find your voice. It'll come, but, you know, be patient and be open and, uh, and see where things lead. That's what, you know, the risk-taking – Personal life. it's quite important
2: amen yeah that's a, that's amazing Greg I think you know thank you so much for coming on with us it's been a, a an incredible treat uh, where can people find Legion of Brothers out there right now
1: yeah well I think like right around now it's becoming available on iTunes and other sort of direct sort of platforms um, so check that out. And it's going to be on uh, CNN. CNN Films actually funded the film. It'll be on CNN in sort of sort of mid to late September, and it'll be on Hulu later in the year. But if you want to see it now, check your video on demand you know outlets. It should be on uh, iTunes, and then plus I think there's DVDs and like coming out now in uh, WalMarts and Best Buys. and it's all and on Amazon you can find it. So it's out there out there now. Just just um, just go.
2: Find it. Oh, we found what what we're doing tonight. Yeah, 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 we found what we're doing tonight. So, (laughs) Greg, thank you so much for coming on and spending this time with us. But more importantly, thank you for telling our brothers' stories, telling the stories of of real hardship, telling and basically having the courage to go tell kind of the, the most dramatic stories within the human condition in the last 30 years. Uh, it is very impactful and meaningful for, I believe, our society and, and society around the world. So please keep it up, sir, and, and thank you, and, and God bless you and your efforts.
3: Yeah, thank you for that dedication. It's important work. Oh, and Thank you, and thank you guys for doing this.
1: It's such an important show for people because you guys are using your own experience and, and now translating it to others who might, you know, need some guidance or need well, we all need, you know, some help along the way. You guys have having been through what you've been through to be doing this now, it's really it's great and it's it's a privilege to be a part of it and uh, and congratulations on the success of your show. It's it's really it's really exciting for you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank
0: I, I, before you, before you go, I just want right. to just just from me to you and what you do, it is really important, I mean, and because you're good at it. And here's the deal, and this is kind of my opinion on this, but through generations, I mean, all the way back, as long as we've been fighting, warriors pass their stories down, usually to other warriors, right? And it's kind of like when you're sitting around the fire, and that's, how, that's the motivation that comes up because you're hearing about these guys. Well, in our generation, it's, we're taught that you're not supposed to talk about it, and it's kind of one of those deals yeah. where we just talk around the – Campfire or whatever, but um, ultimately the same way my the the Navy told the story, right? I just happened to be alive and could and can go and, and backfill it. But it's important for people who have that perspective, like you do, who actually go out there and, and in bed with them and, and get that feeling to get out and and tell these guys stories because ultimately we're, we're retired now. We're the, the the Vietnam generation, so it's it's okay for these guys to open up because they're civilians now and and tell their stories. And that man. Um, there's a line from from Matt's movie, and he's like, "Man, I hate guys like that." Or some, uh, what was he talking about? Uh, Gene Vanderhand, He's like, "Man, guys <laughs> like that." are The reason I joined the military,
2: and you know, you never really think about <laughs> right, it because when right. we're in, we're like,
0: "Man, stop acting like that." But what mm-hmm. you
2: do uh, And he a, helps us yeah, connect to everybody yeah, else. It's a
0: catalyst yeah. for that. So, man, hats off to you. Uh, and I don't mean to go down that rabbit hole. No, I love
2: what you that you. I was talking it, about yeah.
0: documentaries as opposed to. Mm-hmm. I think, man, what that that part. You see that docu on there, man. You're like, oop, stop.
2: (laughs) Right? Awesome. Greg, thank you so much, and and keep up the great work. Yeah. God bless
1: you. You too. Take care, man. Take care. See you guys.
2: Dude, that guy, for a filmmaker, brothers, he's seen some stuff. Oh, because
3: he's so much more than a filmmaker. Yeah,
2: you're hundred percent. It's kind of
3: like
0: one of those—he's just dragging a camera with him. It's right? true. It's and, true. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because those kind of those kind of directors, we were talking about that about the documentary. You know, when you're thumbing through it, there's something real about it. You can even tell by the screen that you're looking at—you're not looking at a movie. You're looking at something that's
2: real. That, that's it. And and for me, it's like, man, you know, when whenever I'm going through a you know a tough time in my life i gravitate towards documentaries and you know mm-hmm. i think that's uh, because it connects you to the true oh, aspect uh, of mean, the human oh, condition
0: uh silent option doc i mean
2: oh, oh, oh yeah, dude, man, dude. The, <laughs> the uh the jungle i had dude sure, <laughs> See the weapon
0: deployed at the hip? That's not how it works. This weapon can deploy accurately from the shoulder. You know, firing rounds into thousands, and the barrel becomes red hot.
2: Remember, the, remember that sixty with the duck bell, yeah, dude? I mean, it's like the oh. weapon
0: just keeps firing; the enemy just keeps dying. Oh my god, dude, that was so epic! And back then, remember you had to be at the TV to oh, watch yeah. watch the show. Oh yeah. And you didn't know when it was coming on. I mean no one had looked at a TV game. That then so much more special. You didn't just get to right? start it right? over. Like, where you you had to be in attendance yeah. when it started. Where are you going? Uh, silent options on TV. Yeah. Not you, Super Bowl. You stuck yeah. yeah. the channel and it's on. And it's like Christmas. <laughs> oh my god, I've been waiting exactly. I've been waiting a year and a half yeah. for this.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's what. The, that's what life used to be the, like. Remember, remember <laughs> the old in the in the last millennium.
2: The way,
0: yeah, that's
2: well, great, exactly <laughs> the, Sunday nights. Remember when Jacques Cousteau's show would come on and oh my! But Christmas I, is so great. What was man, the one in it's Africa? Wait on it and it's
0: like a buildup. Exactly.
2: What was the one in Africa uh, where the dude would go and you'd see and they'd have the footage of the lions and the oh t- man. You was that like that? a National
3: Geographic thing or or Nova? Nova, dude, Shark Week.
0: Ah, yeah, a- you guys watch guys, you don't watch Shark Week? Heck yeah, you watch Shark. Uh, Did you I'm, ever
3: watch like, Wild America with uh, Marty Stolfer? Of course, Marty Stolfer, and this is Wild America.
2: I don't know if I ever saw that. I never
3: forget one time he was being well, chased by these by these pigs. They were charging him. He was jumping up in these trees. Pigs. He was a badass. The seventies, man. This is like this is decades before the Crocodile Hunter ever came yeah, on. Yeah, Irwin, mind.
2: man, I, I was glued to him. He was pretty awesome. But this guy, let's go back to Greg Barker. Where are we? Hey, going? we digress a bit. We digress. We're back. <laughs> all right? We're back. Jeez, so, what just happened? The, the, the crazy thing about this cat is, like, he's, he goes from Rwanda to Syria to Bin Laden to... I mean, he's yeah, picking are, some heavy. Those are
0: heavy, and... and because of what I was able to do, working and with Pete and all those guys, man, they, you know those guys who had to deal with the real life stuff, they take they take part of that with them.
2: You can't not right. And
0: I I saw how Mark and, and Pete and Taylor and all of them how, how much that affected them having to dive into that and what they take away from that and man this it wasn't real real time. You know what I'm talking about? He, he's mean, out there there was this, almost that wasn't suspension. in the real world is what yeah, you're he, saying. That's it's, not he's a documentary. Out there in real time, so I can only imagine yeah. how much he's sucking in. Oh, my
2: God. Imagine. Well, he said seven years making the Rwanda. Rwanda. That's, that's almost intense. a decade, man. That's- and, and that was genocide, too. So that's the true root of evil. I, I appreciated what he says about the gray area and the fact that we, we all can at times— um, have a moral ambiguity that allows opportunities to stray one way or the other. Most of the time, I think it's towards the good, but in, in certain aspects of our background, it's been towards the other side, I would, Mm. I would suggest, but it, it, you know, in that true essence of evil and, and what you hear and seeing those children that had the machete marks across their heads or their, I mean, that can rip you apart. And the fact that he kept at it for seven
0: years. Well, it, it lets you know truly yeah. how far we've come as, as a country because if, I mean, take a step back, everybody's like, all, all humans are created equal. We're all equal in, in, in every way, right? I mean, we-, we In America. That, in America, we preach that try. nonstop, right? But so if every if, if every humans alike know that you have the capability of, of killing an entire civilization off, I mean, because of what, what reason? Over here, that people couldn't even fathom that. Couldn't even fathom. Genocide's a word to, to most people, man. Unless you, you got to get over there, yeah. You, you had to leave this country. You got to go outside of the United States. Just watching a- it, you know, the documentary will suck you in. If you're affected by that, imagine you know the real life when you can
2: smell it. You, you ever talk to a Holocaust survivor? Oh my, it, it's. It, I remember growing up in South Florida. We had the highest concentration of Holocaust survivors in my area out of anywhere in the United States. So. Hmm literally every year in grade school middle school and in high school we would have an opportunity to have a holocaust survivor come in and speak and i can remember the first time it really registering i was in fifth grade and this woman came in starts talking and talks about world war ii and then begins and she shows us her tattoo Mm -hmm. and begins to try and express the devaluation that the Nazis inflicted on them in terms of their self-worth, their existence. And I just remember, I, I couldn't fathom the totality of the evil, but I remember being affected by what she was saying. And it really just stuck with me. So, like, you're, to that point, point, I and, and this goes back to the point that you finished with him, Marcus, the fact that america is so intimately involved in all of those efforts to try and either stop genocide or to stop evil and its the prolific nature of evil and how it can spread that's important stuff to I recognize mean, the, the, the in our culture at, and civilization
0: the way i look at it the, there's still things that happen out in the real world that that words can't describe or put Wait on no, they have to be experienced. You know what I'm talking about? Is that, did I say that right? You totally did. I mean, you yeah. can t- to try to describe it in, in words is an insult, right? To or, or doesn't even fa- and that's kind of the with the Holocaust, man. To to for somebody to snatch your ass up and torture you and just, just burn you to death. Yeah, when you're not even human and, and to watch it going down, not knowing when your time is. I'm going, man, dude. When you when somebody's got you and they're working you over and you know taking turns, you know when end is. It's kind of a, it's a feeling.
2: Well, I, I, I think – go ahead. I know you've I, got I just, something I you just want wanted add. to
3: um, add. I wanted to say this to him before we hung up because we'd said, you know, you're doing really important work, but I don't know if we really – I wanted to say more about why I think that is because, you know, you're talking about words not, words not conveying or you, you're not going to get an understanding about certain scenarios, situations, just through words, right? You're not going to be able to read about right. it. You've you got to be there. Now, you can't go through – I mean – you cannot experience all these things, but he creates a bridge. what he does is he creates a bridge yeah, between that's a way to
0: say that that's, and, yeah, and that's I, th- I
3: find this to be so relevant, particularly with the military in the United States, because the population I feel in our current conflicts has has become so distant from the reality on the ground over there. You know, you take it. I was reading an article about this recently. back in World War two, the percentage of the American population was affected by the war. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was it was huge. It was it was almost everyone. But today the percentage of the American population that is affected that knows someone who's in the military, actively deployed or something like that, it's a very, very tiny number. And the danger in losing that that understanding of the implication of our foreign policy to go fight you know, and invest our military, invest our blood and treasure in a war. It's extremely dangerous if, the majority of the population, doesn't understand what that impact really is. They don't. They didn't. They don't see their brother come back. They don't see their their, their sister come back, or know that they have to go over there and they're potentially never coming home. Oh, yeah. It just becomes a rah rah rah. Let's can, go fight another war because they don't understand. Yeah, you, it's a you game. You can
0: grow without. up here and not not even. Yeah, I mean, you can literally right. grow up here and, exactly. and not even have it not affect you at all. Oh, there it, are kids, it, exactly.
2: There are kids in grade school, middle school, high school, college right now who don't know why we're in Afghanistan, who don't know why we're fighting. I hey, and remember,
0: remember, we used to. I mean, I, I've I've said this. I'm like, well, I, you know, we do the things that we do so you don't have to know about it. But but what's happened is,
2: it's gone. You, gone the it's gone too far, far. It's yeah, gone. exactly
0: yeah yeah yep. it's, it's gotten to a point to where now you don't even now it's not even on your radar uh, that's not good and not for the mere fact that i i, I worry about you worrying about me you can worry about yourself because right? once i'm gone you're gonna have to stick up for yourself
2: well there comes a time where the torch has to be passed yeah right Where like you- you're saying there's a percentage of the population that hopefully based on whether it's our show and how we deliver access to great never-quit military stories or a sense of higher purpose. Or it's Greg Barker's films that they watch and they feel this this connection to, this bridge as it, you describe oh it. God, pulls them such, in. To, to, to build American
0: some thing. kind of understanding. Hey, there will yep, always there'll be, be an American warrior class. I mean, you can't <laughs> even read that out. I mean, the... We'll, we'll It'll it's getting be pretty there. small, by the. It's always been small, right? And here's what happens. You think about it like this, though. Ultimately, a lot of a lot of the guys on the video games, the guys who don't have anything to do with the war, what do they like to do, they like to play it, and they like to, you know, pretend. Uh, uh, well, then, the, the, there's going to be one day when the pretending ends. Yeah, it's not. Pretending. Yeah, you're going to have to get it. It's going to get real. Of course, right? Like, yeah. right.
2: and a little perspective. Just last night, I, mm. I I've been ingrained in Ken Burns' documentary, The War, right and I'm in the Battle of Bulge period, right? And a million servicemen were in the Battle of the Bulge. A million. Participated in that particular aspect of the battle. 80,000, pretty sure it was 80,000 casualties in that battle, right? In, for, in 45. We have had a little over 2 million total serve in the two longest wars in U.S. history, perspective. It's, 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 the right?
3: the numbers are incredible, and I mean, I think it's a great thing that we don't have as many, obviously, as many casualties in war now. It's, yes, warfare has evolved, and it'll continue to move in that trend. But my point is that the population losing a an understanding of why we're doing these things makes the population more easily manipulated. There's not a national consciousness that there has to be a consciousness of of what this act, uh, what this act implies.
2: The meaning. So,
3: bringing this all back around, I think someone like Greg going to, you know, telling these stories and creating an emotional connection with the authority of a documentary format, right? Yep. Really, I think it's important work. I think it's very important work.
2: Yeah. All right. Greg Barker, Please go check out his stuff it's very powerful information it's gonna it's gonna give you perception on all these different topics he's uh you know his his legion of brothers is out now go ahead and download it it's gonna be on cnn again in september the guy is really at the top of his game in terms of documentary films and he cares about the human condition so yeah, you'll good. gain. A, they're good they're good. Yeah, they're good. They're good. So, they're simply put, they're awesome. They're genu-
3: genuinely entertaining. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You're going to enjoy learning something.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Listeners, listen, we are so deeply indebted to you. And that's why we're doing this. That's why we do this show. That's why the wizard and Marcus and I are so passionate about bringing you information that's going to enable you to pursue your greater purpose in life that's going to enable you to actively engage in enhancing your own human condition by learning the never quit mindset. And you can learn that in all different facets. You can learn it through uh, documentaries. You can learn it through research. But more importantly, as Greg said, you've got to get out there and experience life because that's where you truly learn what it means to never quit to get invested in the world that's around you and even go beyond to travel over the horizons of doubt and into the places that the unknown will spark a greater reason for living for you. So we hope you heard that. We we thank you again. If you want to, dedicate yourself and write in one of your great never quit stories. We'll, you will take a look and, and, and if it's really good, we'll read it. And if it's amazing, Marcus, what's going to happen. We're
0: going to bring him on. Look
2: at him in the eye. We're going to bring you on the show. We're going to let you tell your, your story. Uh, you know, I just want to say I'm so honored and privileged to be back. Um, Guys, I, I really, it's great having you back, buddy. I really, really missed you. Is it? I really, <laughs> I just said it to make him feel good. Come on, dude. Yeah, I, I mean, knew that so it was, kind it, all all out, was kind that of BS out, from I you, talk but shit, as
0: soon as we leave the room. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Come on, man. talk about you when you're not here. So, so it, it, it's awesome to be back. My vacation, quote, quote, uh, was amazing in terms of what I learned about myself. I needed it. But I, I feel so privileged, so honored to be blessed to be back with you guys and following my true calling, my passion in life, which is to try and deliver motivational media that matters to people around the world. So I'm thankful for, to you guys for being patient for me. I'm thankful for the God for showing me the way back here. Uh, and I'm thankful for the listeners. And thank you for Mr. Barker for coming on.
0: Absolutely. Marcus. God, thanks, man. Thanks to you, brother. And thanks yeah. for everybody for listening to us and letting us come back here, man. And uh, I know we can go down some of those crazy rabbit holes, but it's entertaining ourselves, I guess.
2: That'll love. <laughs> yeah, right?
0: And we hope you <laughs> so, get something out of it.
2: Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> there, there should be a point behind any of those little diatrizes we oh, there go down, right?
2: There is.
0: But thank you all for doing that and coming. Uh, keep coming back and uh, letting us do this, man. I, I can't even put into words what that means. So, I'm out.
2: I'm out. You quit.